The Celtics and their fans are enjoying an incredible run so far this season. Winners of seven straight, a spicy Tatum 50 piece yesterday, and we're actually beating bad teams. But now another potentially triggering matchup against the Warriors looms and trade rumors are afoot. Next on First to the Floor. Who's going to be first to the floor here? And it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. That's the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice my body. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. I'm Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Joining us, our feet on the ground over there in the USA, it's Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how you doing, sir? <laughs> I'll do a good man. Seven in a row feels pretty good. But oh, I thought yeah. it was you caught me off guard with that. We're actually beating bad teams. But I had seen a <laughs> stat recently. We were like 16 and six against teams over 500 and 15 and six against teams under 500. So, I mean, it's true. Like, <laughs> I'm uh, glad to just, hear that. It was a very poorly- as good. We play the same against everybody. It doesn't <laughs> matter who you are. It was a very poorly researched comment. So I'm glad that you're able to back that <laughs> up for me, Spoons. Also with us, the Chris Forsberg to Derek White's Time Lord, Jake Eisenberg. How are you, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so true. Ah, the mistress is on a on a tear, and I am also feeling it. Feeling good. How are you, Ben? I'm doing well. It's down in Tassie, solo parenting uh, with my toddler. A couple of plane flights alone, always uh, a potential so disaster. Yeah. Uh, but I'm back. She's back in daycare. I'm finally diving back into the seas. Feeling good. So uh, happy to get Perfect. back into this. So look, let's just get right into it. We are just beyond the halfway point of the season. It's been a wild, exhilarating ride so far with all of these little sub-narratives rather that emerge along the way. But perhaps you've been busy lately like I have and haven't had a chance to stop and take a look at the numbers. So we're going to do that right now and take a second and sort of summarize them for you here. So the Celtics right now, as it currently stands, number one offense, (laughs) 117.8 offensive rating. Number seven defense, 111.2 defensive rating. Of course, it leaves us with the top net rating at 6.7. First in assist to turnover ratio, First in def- defensive rebounding percentage, which if you've been following the Cs for any period of time, like longer than this season, that will maybe be the, the stat that jumps off the page shocking. the most. Absolutely shocking. Uh, first in opponent points off turnovers at 15.2. Uh, a record, 33 and 12. That's a 7.733 winning percentage. And we're 14 and 4 against the top 12 teams in the league. Guys, Spoonie, we'll start with you. Do any of those numbers jump off the page to you? What stands out the most? Or is there something new that wasn't mentioned that you want to introduce? Uh, no, I, I think um, obviously the number one in net rating is important in the top 10 in both offense and defense as my cat's tail makes an appearance. I think for me is first an assist to turnover ratio. Uh, this team, you know, notably was a little turnover heavy uh, in the playoffs. And that's probably the biggest thing people talk about as a knock on Tatum and more so Brown. And really, it's not like anyone other than Smart is averaging a ton of assists. But just fundamentally, as a team, that number says to me, they're moving the ball. They're moving it in dangerous positions, right? Because it's actually turning into assists. You'll see sometimes these teams have mediocre assist numbers but they have like the most passes in the league well you're just like popping around the perimeter the celtics are not doing that they're driving into the paint they're dropping it in the post they're kicking out to open shooters and they're making shots and most importantly they're turning it over 
a normal amount of times, right? Not some crazy amount, <laughs> especially when you're, yeah, acceptable <laughs> amount of times. And when you're passing the ball and playing that fast offensive, like it's not crazy if you have a lot of turnovers. Like I think often those Steph Warriors teams were like top five in number of turnovers because of how quick they played offense. So that assist to turnover ratio is just so beautiful, man. Yeah. Um, it, the national media doesn't have anything to write about the Jays when they're, when they're moving the ball like this, like how are they mm-hmm. going to call them, call them selfish when they're number one in assisted turnover ratio, even with apparently Jalen Brown kind of going back and forth with remembering how to dribble. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very obvious um, when you watch the the Celtics, the fact that they're one is, is so, so amazing. I think it speaks to not only um, Tatum and Jalen's um, commitment to moving the ball and buying into the system, but also the way that Brad Stevens has built the, uh, the roster. Um, and yes, my guy Derek White being right in the middle of that outside of um outside of smart is um one culprit for, for getting those numbers up for but for me, the number um is fourteen or four against t- the top twelve teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's an absurd, absurd record against the top two teams. And two of <laughs> yeah. those losses are against the Cavs in overtime. Um, one of which was a forty point carousel vert just ridiculous step back anomaly an app no question anomaly um if they were able to take care of business against some of those worst teams like their record would be you know 65 win plus pace but um the fact that they're 14 or 4 against the top 12 teams speaks to what i think as the best team in the league yeah absolutely they get up for these games and it's like there's now a big enough sample size that they've, they've demonstrated that for me this is pretty smooth brain, but it's the record, 33 and 12. And more specifically, <laughs> the winning percentage, 0.733. It That's took right. a bit of time to look back at prior dominant Celtics teams. And there's not a lot that have had a 7-3-3 or above winning percentage or really even in that, that neighborhood. Uh, it's very limited. So I'm going to run down the list here. 2008-2009 Celtics, they had a 0.756 winning percentage. They had a record to finish the season 62 and 20. 07-08, we all remember that season very fondly. They had a 0.805 winning percentage, which is uh, pretty dominant. <laughs> so Ended up with the title. 66 and 16 record there. And then all the way back, the 85-86 Celtics that had a 0.817 winning percentage, 67 and 15, and of course, won the title. And the magic number for a 60-win season is the 0.7317 uh, winning percentage. And we're above that right now. So we're on pace again after a little faltering there for a little while. In that sort of paces magic range of the of the season, there we're back on board for the sixty win pace and aligning ourselves with title teams of Celtics past. So um, this is really promising, and I'm starting to <laughs> get a little get a little excited here, guys. Not my normal flavor, as you know me. I'm kind of a neurotic fan and always expect the worst to happen. Like, <laughs> do you expect Jake the Celtics to win a title oh, this season? Man. I know that's a tough question, and mm. like we believe in like jinx energy and stuff like that. So I'll accept almost any answer. Uh, with all yeah. of that taken into account. But, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it'd be crazy not to at this point, right? Yeah, I, I won't express quite how confident you appeared when we hung out in real life before the, uh, the Warriors game last That was time. offline, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, off the record. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think expecting the team is a very strong word when, any, when winning an NBA championship. Um, if the Celtics were to win a title, like it would still be that this team would kind of still be a bit of an anomaly as far as like the types of teams that win, especially in the modern era. Like outside of the 06 Heat, um, teams like their, their best player winning a title under the age of 26 is basically unheard of or 
you know, not having a, a LeBron or a Steph on your team over the, kind of the last 10 plus years doesn't really happen. Um, that being said, they are the best team in the league. I think um, you look at the profiles of all the other teams, like how many, not, not, I don't think any of them can kind of say that they're top five um, in both categories. I know the Celtics defense is seventh overall on the year, but you kind of feel throughout that first month and in their top five teams that are number one in offense. And the fact that they're still number one in offense and they haven't been able to hit a three pointer um, well, for what feels like two months now is so impressive and goes back to that assist turnover ratio. Um, they are the best team in the league. And not only that, like the more abstract, um, existential, intangible um, aspect of the team that I think is underrated um, is how battle tested they are. Mm. And I had a look at this today. Um, I ran it for all, all East, top five East conference contenders, Celtics, Bucks, Nets, Cavs, Sixers. Total playoff games played across the, the best fives for each team. So, you know, Tatum, Jalen, Marcus, Al, and Rob have played 430 playoff games. The next closest out of the Bucks, Nets, Cavs, and Sixers is um, the Bucks at 321, Nets at 317, and Sixers at 276. Like there's just a massive chasm in how many playoff games these guys have played that speaks to how um, Embiid's never been out of the second round. The Cavs mm-hmm. have played 57. Like that's just there's just no experience on that team. KD's carrying the Nets at 155. Um, but the fact that Tatum and Jalen and Marcus all have 70-plus playoff games um, is absolutely absurd. So and I think we experienced that in the finals last year when uh, the Warriors were kind of really able to to veteran us out of that series. I think that you, you kind of can't argue um, that the Celtics don't have that like championship medal at this point. So when you think about expecting this team to win, they kind of have, they have the talent, they have the depth, they have the experience. It will be disappointing, obviously, if they don't win the title because I think, you know, they're the betting favorite. They're the best team. Um, but it's really hard. It's really hard to win yeah. a title. I mean, what? so say I, maybe the Celtics are like a one in four chance to win the title, which is ridiculously good and ridiculously high. That means three out of four times they don't win the title, yeah. right? <laughs> so I try to keep that in my mind. Like, it's actually highly more likely they don't win, even if you're the large favorite to win the title. That's how hard it is to win in the NBA, man. Like, especially where the league is right now, I'm not even sure there's an easy first round series at this point. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Hawks, you know, like even the Hawks, like Trey gets hot for a couple games. That no, can, you can start. You, you've been you've been scared of the Hawks for two years now. Give it up. Yeah, I, I feel bad. I feel bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, do you, I mean, the Cavs in the second round, Ugh, the yeah. Bucks in the second round, the Nets in the second round, the Heat in the second round would be so annoying. Yeah, no, I don't want to. Yeah. So I, I just think like I don't expect this team to win a title. But if I'm picking a team who I think has the best chance, I'm picking the Celtics. And obviously, I think it's going to be a really fun ride, but I'm nervous as hell, man. I don't yeah. know. Like, <laughs> That's why and, we do and, this, right? It's so we yeah. can catch up and calm each other's nerves every week yeah. or a couple of times a week. And Jake, I do take issue with you saying that teams haven't won with their best player under 26. Derek White's over 26, so the Celtics are good. <laughs> there we go. Hey, you got me there. I can't yeah. argue that. It's true. When yeah. your best player, yeah. D. White, it's true. Best defender in the league right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 
<laughs> Sorry, Ben, go ahead. I no, I'll just summarize and say I'm like, terrified. He's got me. <laughs> I'm terrified as well. I, I, I bring it up. I know it's a stupid sort of basic question, like will they or will they not win the title? But it's sort of it's dominating my thoughts lately. And I think if you're a Celtics fan of any sort of uh, level of, of dedication, you're probably thinking the same thing. Like as we do this, this podcast and as we maintain and even build on our Celtics fandom, you kind of do it with this thought in the back of your mind, like one of these days they're going to win a title and like it's going to be so fun to like be so much on the on the Celtics bandwagon and have been on it for so long when we finally get to that point. And I just can't help but think like we might finally be at that point this season. Uh, and yeah. so it's got me very excited. Oh, Sorry, go and, ahead. And one thing, one thing I will say as well, right? I see if you guys agree. Like I still feel like they're... I wouldn't, I wouldn't say scratching the surface, but I still feel like they have a long way to go as far as reaching their ceiling with, with this roster, especially. Um, and I, and I think, um, uh, Steve Jones on, um, the dunk, the dunker spot, amazing podcast. Um, yep. he often says like an injury can lead to, um, teams finding something they didn't have otherwise. And we might can probably get to this, but like the fact that, you know, Jalen's gone down, other guys have had to step up. Derek White goes down in the, the Hornets game. Pritchard has to play again. We're, we're seeing Brogdon go on an absolute tear and give us a taste of like, what does that look like if he's able to get closer to 30 minutes come playoff time? Um, Pritchard can still give you 12, 13 if um, the matchup, you know, allows it. Um, and then defensively, the trend, like they're, they're still trending. Um, and with, you know, seeing the, the stats of the best versus the best teams versus the worst teams and how they're similar, I think just speaks to how they're like, we've become a bit of a flip the switch team. While we're still consistently one of the best teams, we still have that, that switch to be flipped. Like we're not playing at the rate that we needed to in the back half of, of last season, which is a good thing. We don't need to be, um, you know, pulling out all the stops. And I love the way they're managing. Um, and building for the playoffs with Rob's minutes, you know, where, oh, and now we can see Rob, he can get to 30 minutes. Um, but we, we know now we're mixing in Cornette. Um, mm-hmm. the way that they're building and finding different things that they can pull on throughout the season that they might, they might have to rely on if someone misses a game here or there in the playoffs or just different lineups they can rely on. I love the way that they're building, um, towards the playoffs. Yeah. yeah, they're less like they're 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 like a flip the switch team, but they're a dimmer switch, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just like slowly turning it up until like complete brightness once they hit the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, because I think I, I wonder if this is partially I'm not sure how much Missoula could plan this type of stuff, considering he didn't know he's going to be the head coach two weeks going into the season. But I, I really like maybe it's just the injuries making guys step up, but it has seemed like Pritchard. Um, and Cornette, these guys are ready to play when they get their opportunity. And I mm-hmm. think you got to give some credit to the coaching too. And Stoudemire and the guys on the bed, the bald guy whose name always escapes me. Ben Sullivan. Um, ben Sullivan. That's yes. Nice. Thank you, Jake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they got these guys ready to play and it's like perfect. I, I wonder if Jalen could play. I think Jalen would be playing if it were the playoffs too, yeah. you know? So it kind of feels like by design, we're kind of slowly like ramping ourselves up. Absolutely. And meanwhile, Jason Tatum has completely mm. re-entered the MVP conversation, which oh, yeah. is sort of at the precipice of everything we're talking about. It's all led by Jason Tatum and, and his ceiling. Third in points per game. Just going to rattle off a few stats for you guys uh, at 31.1. That's behind uh, Luka Doncic and Joel Embiid. But he averages 1.1 less turnovers per game than both of those guys, which is hugely important, especially like you mentioned earlier, Spoonie, that the, the rapid pace of the ball movement for the Celtics. Like that's a significant reduction in turnovers based on how we play. Three-point shooting gradually ticking back up, 36%. 
in the last five games. That's not like awesome as far as the standard that, that Tatum has set earlier in his career. But considering where it started, I think that's, um, I don't know, it's at least worth tracking in, in this context. And then his impact on half-court offense. So per cleaning the glass, the Celtics are a plus eight in points per play in half-court, in the half-court offense when Tatum is on the court. Hugely important because, you know, huge, huge part of last year, obviously, the defensive identity, but the scoring opportunities created off of those, the turnovers that we were forcing. For Tatum to be so impactful and such a plus for the Celtics in half-court offensive possessions, I think is, uh, is, is huge for his MVP case and just the overall success of this team. He's fifth in 538's Raptor stat. He's third in Basketball Index's LeBron stat. Uh, Jokic is first in both, so maybe this is a waste of time. Like, <laughs> Jokic is obviously the clear front runner, Spoonie, but like, how likely is Tatum to win MVP? I suppose based on the team's overall success. Like, that's sort of the standout category there for Tatum. Yeah, I think if Jokic is the Celtics in this metaphor, Tatum's <laughs> like the Nets or something, yeah. where it's like, okay, you yeah. know. <laughs> if I got to pick one team out of the field, you know, it might be that team, right? He's kind of come up and down as the season's gone on, but he's on a complete hot streak right now. And one thing I've noticed with Tatum is I was just kind of looking at a lot of um, his layups and dunks for something I'm writing. He gets so many layups and dunks off of like when he's the screener and backdoor cuts, rolling to the rim as the roll man out of pick and rolls. Um, just reading the defense when he's going to set a pin down and leaving the pin down early before he makes contact and getting wide open layups. And we'll talk about this a little bit. He's one of the best post players in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So when his, and he's, he's averaging what eight and a half free throws a game now too. Like, what do you do with this guy? Like, how do you defend him? Everything we wanted from him off ball, he's done it. The only thing you can kind of, knock him for and I and I'm not going to say playmaking because I think just the way we play won't lead to him having a lot of assists but he's moving the ball he's making the right play it's like his shooting isn't elite anymore (laughs) but it's still pretty good especially considering the types of threes he takes man so it's like how do you stop this guy and then the flip side (laughs) I do not believe any of these defensive stats that say Jokic is one of the best defensive players in the league I'm sorry I'm just will never believe it let me see him play elite defense in the playoffs because it is not going to happen. Meanwhile, Tatum's locking up Kevin Durant and Giannis, you know, and he's just playing absurdly great defense through four rounds of the playoffs while also being a dude. You just you can't stop him on offense anymore. Even when he has a bad game, he still gets 30 somehow. It's a great question, Spoonie. I don't know how you stop him because yeah. <laughs> I, tell, I tell you who doesn't know the answer to that question is all of Charlotte Hornets, all of Hornets. <laughs> yeah, top to bottom, the entire organization. <laughs> yeah, the Carolinas as a <laughs> geographical place do not have an answer for Jason Tatum. That was just an absurd, absurd performance. Uh, yeah, that was honestly one of the best games I've seen him play, just like the decision-making, how, how quickly he's attacking. Um, and I think there's an element to the – staying in the same place, like from a rest point of view. Um, he seemed especially spry relative to the Nets game coming off a of back-to-back and three games in four nights. Um, it's top to bottom. I think one thing as well that, and, and again, this guy is 24 years old and the fact that he's improved, uh, he's taken a serious jump this year. I, I would say this is probably the biggest, uh, I was going to say, he's taken so many freaking big leaps. Um, but this is a, another really, really big leap. Like to go from, he was 15th last year in free throw attempts per game. He's sixth 
this year. It's crazy. That's, that's crazy. So that's and mm-hmm. so two more made free throws per game. That was basically the difference between averaging twenty eight and 30 points per game. Um, and that's been a stat that's been climbing every year of his career, um, kind of coinciding with the fact that he's just getting bigger and stronger every year. Um, the post play, um, Udoka ball kind of brought that in last year, the bully ball. Um, and he's been, I, I'm, I knew he'd been good in the post, but to see that 98th percentile stat was, um, yeah, I, I definitely had been underrating him a little bit. Uh, and then one more piece, like he's added the floater, but that's still got a long way to go. Um, yes. And I have, but I have no, no reason to believe it. Like it is literally the first year he's like kind of been taking one or to two per game. Um, so that I, honestly, that might even be something that comes together later in the season because I feel like we've seen that with Tatum in the past. As a as the season goes along, um, when you talk about the shooting efficiency, now is kind of the time. Now is kind of the time when all it's the threes it's beginning to happen. They, they start to Based go in. Based off one game. Based off one game. <laughs> but this is the time. Um, and if like if the threes, like if he just is making one more three per game, then he might just win the MVP based on that. Um, that being said, Jokic is doing just like sicko, sicko stuff. Yeah, like I think my favorite stat he had 14, 11, and sixteen. He took five shots and was a hundred, one hundred, one hundred. It's just like it, whatever. Yeah. That's just gonna, wild. Just going to take five shots today and win by 20. It's not a big deal. Um, he's 20th in the league in scoring, though. Like, so, like that's, that's not what impressive. What a bum. What you a, can't give this guy the, yeah, NBA, come the MVP. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> the voter fatigue is probably our, you it's know. Real. It's real. It's, that's our it friend. Seems, but, like, yes, listening, exactly, to, yeah. listening to a lot of these, like, national podcasts, like Simmons and Zach Lowe and stuff, it kind of seems to have dropped off a little bit. I know that's only two two people, but um, I feel like I haven't heard much about that. And I feel like the Jokic propaganda is people have had just like give it up because he's just been like on another level this year. Yeah, he really he really has elevated himself even beyond what he you know already won MVP for twice. So yeah. maybe this conversation is a waste of time, but you can't ignore the team's success no. and how just absolutely spearheaded that is by Jason Tatum. That, that has to be factored into the MVP voting. Uh, Jordan Bedard in the comments saying that Tatum free throw attempts, which you guys mentioned, but also Jalen's <laughs> free throw percentage. When we were playing a Celtics bingo in our playback watch parties earlier in this year, Jalen front rimming his first free throw attempt was one of the squares on our bingo board. And I think we have to consider removing that now because it's no uh, longer a trend. I don't know. He missed four in a row. It was a three in a row in that one game. That one thing of I think it's four. I think it was four. So yeah. I don't know. Have you anyway. rest? Have you rest, uh, JB? But yes. yeah, just on, on Tatum quickly before we move on, Bill Simmons has this category of players where he refers to them as like, what do you do players? And Jokic is, is firmly in that category. I think Giannis is as well. It's probably fair to say that, that Tatum is like well and truly in that category at this point. I know that the Hornets are not like a premier team in any way, no matter how you slice it, they suck at everything. So like, of course- <laughs> A guy like Tatum is going to perform well against them. But, you know, another thing I'd, I'd like to hear you guys take on is people called, called that 51-point performance by Tatum sort of a boring 50, a slow mm. and, and not entertaining 50. The ease at which he got there, I found to be exhilarating. Like, I was <laughs> I had goosebumps because that's what you want. Like, you don't want this sort of, like, insane, like, playing 45 minutes, like, balls to the wall, gutsy, you know, pushing your body beyond its limit all your effort to get to 51. You just want a nice, cool jacket up some threes to go in for a change, which is nice. 
walk your way to 51 <laughs> points. That's nice. And to me, that's exciting. Jake, what, what, do, you, what do you think about that, that the take that, that, that 51 performance was boring? Yeah, I think that it speaks to the, the leap that he's taken and free throws being a part of that as well. He had 14 from 14, I think, from the line. Um, yeah, he made it look way, way too easy. I didn't think he had any shot of getting to 50, really. He had like 38 kind of like midway through the fourth quarter. Um, the Hornets look that they suck on defense, but they got some serious offensive firepower um, when, and especially when they're, when they're playing the Celtics. As far as boring 50 point uh, games go, I think that you're right. Like you don't want it to be 50, you know, you know, 50 minutes overtime. Um, and this I think speaks to Tatum and how well he fits in any team context. Um, he was really sharing the ball really well. Like it wasn't like, let's give it to Tatum and let him dominate. Like let's let him cook. It was still catching shoots, coming off cuts, Spoonie talking about, um, you know, getting dunks at the rim. It was just a well-balanced game. And I think that that's kind of who Tatum has become now. He, he lets the game come to him. Um, and when it's rolling, he just goes from like 33, 35 to, to 50. Boring. Lest we forget. <laughs> This was a two-point game in the fourth quarter. Yeah. We needed at least like 45 <laughs> of those 51 points. Like uh, this when Tatum like went absolutely bananas and took the game over and made it a laugher, that was like with four minutes left in the game. That I mean, that game was like pretty close for the first half of the fourth quarter. I didn't I don't think him dropping 51 is maybe the last two threes, it was kind of like all right, dude, now you're just kind of rubbing it in. But for the most part, like 45 of those points were like necessary to win that game. So I didn't think it was boring. And as Jake was saying, like he did it all. Drives to the rim out of the pick and roll. Post up, uh, fall away, Kobe style. Post up, spin off a shoulder, dunk on your head. Um, backdoor cuts, burying seven of 12 from three. 14 free throws because he was tacking the rim so hard and he had five assists. He was moving the ball. He was making the right play. Like, I don't know. Charlotte's still an NBA team. Like they still beat people. Jalen McDaniels is a really good defensive player. Even if, you know, LaMelo is absolutely laughably bad to the point where we need to start thinking about how we're talking about him as a player because he is so laughably bad on defense, but everyone's saying McDaniels is like all defense level guy. Like, well, Tatum just cooked him for 51. Like I, That's a big deal, you know? <laughs> Very and much so. Plumlee's, yeah, Plumlee's not a bad rim protector either. So, yeah, they're a bad defense, but I don't know, man. He makes it look easy. It is not easy, and that was a close game in the fourth quarter. So I was not bored. I was, like, laughing maniacally as he hit those <laughs> yeah. threes to end the game. And I was like, this is – I said, this is awesome to my wife. And she's like, ah, is our kid awake yet? <laughs> yeah. Well, the game, was on a, the game was on at 5 a.m. here in Sydney, yeah. and I'm watching it on my laptop in bed. My wife is asleep next to me, and I'm, like, vibrating while watching the game to the point where my wife is like, what is going on with you? Like, can you please stop? I'm trying to sleep here. You just <laughs> yeah. keep shuffling around. You keep, like, shaking with every miss, with every block, with every awesome event in the game. I can't help but have this physical reaction to it. I should have gone downstairs, yeah. I, I suppose, is a summary there. <laughs> yeah, Landon Lakes in the chat, uh, Rosier's post-game outfit greater than JT's 51. Shout out to everyone in the chat here. We've got a nice little group here as we live stream yeah. this podcast. Guys, let's move on. Per Sham Sharania, Jakob Pertl has drawn significant interest from the Celtics. And here's a relevant extract from the Shams article, which you can find on The Athletic. 
He says, however, one organization emerges every deadline as a key hub for the entire NBA. This season, it could be San Antonio. Spurs center Jakob Pertl has gained significant trade interest from teams such as the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics, according to league sources who, like all other sources in this story, were granted anonymity so that they could be able to speak freely, which I just, I don't know if he often tacks that onto his articles. I think that's yeah, just that, sort of like that assumed. <laughs> yeah. um, nonetheless, Jake, Jakob Pertl, Yay, nay, is it likely to happen? Would you be in support of it if it did happen? How have we been talking about Yucca Pertle this much this year? This is <laughs> wild. Um, Ninja Pertle. Uh, I'm actually wearing my Ninja Turtles shirt, so there you yeah. go. Relevant, um, super relevant. <laughs> maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a thing. But uh, Shams has not been right about anything about the Celtics um, since Brad Stevens has come to power. So I would be, and also just in general, all of Brad Stevens' moves have kind of come out of nowhere. So I would be very surprised if this happens um, for a variety of reasons. One, giving up assets for a guy that will almost certainly leave in free agency unless they decide to pay Pirtle instead of Grant. The idea of them paying Grant and Pirtle at like 50, somewhere between 15 and 18 million for both of them seems pretty unlikely unless... I know Wick has some crazy, uh, crazy investment cooking this this season, um, and I'm not even sure if Jakubowski can play past like the first round of the playoffs or the second round of the playoffs. Can't shoot free throws. He's okay in switch defenses. Like he's really good. Like if we traded for Jakubowski, um, and all we gave up was was Gallo and Pritchard, uh, like the Celtics would be a lot would be better. Like no question. Like he's a really good rim protector. But I just don't think it's a need and i don't think that it's something that's going to happen yeah yeah good to great rim protector um good pick and roll finisher not rob level but yeah solid probably better than al at this point in his career he doesn't want to be a backup he's not going to sign with the team even if we offer him the money he's not going to sign with the team to be the backup he can't play with rob williams so you're extremely limited when you're healthy on lineups he can play with al's not going to be here forever i would absolutely look but you know and we talked about this before we really only have like one more move we can make with the mm-hmm. ammo in the war chest right that move needs to replace al horford in my opinion or replace grant williams because then grant will replace al horford's spot hurdle is basically a rob williams replacement and which i understand rob gets injured but look if we don't have Rob in the Eastern Conference Finals and instead have Jakob Pertle, I don't love our chances. Like Rob is this point is like paramount to this team's ceiling and being a championship contender. Like I think we can survive the first and second round without him, which I think you're right, Jake, was is when Pertle will be helpful. But we could probably survive that with Luke Cornett if we have to and run an Al at center. So I depending on the matchup. So I, I just think like if you're targeting one last guy with that Gallo contract and Pritchard and like two first round picks, you better know he's here through the Jays prime. And I would prefer he be a position of, of need, right? That big wing position that we don't really have other than Grant Williams once Al retires. So I like Pirtle as a player. I do not like him for the Celtics. Yeah, absolutely. And like you're only trading for Pirtle if you're operating under the assumption that Rob Williams is going to miss time and possibly significant time. And if that's the case, like you're you're unlikely to win a title anyway at that point. So you may as well not make the trade 
not give up those assets and just recoup and have another go at it next season as well. And correct me if I'm wrong here. I sort of found multiple opinions and and thoughts on this. We can't trade Gallo back to the Spurs because they waived him Mm. within the past 12 months. Yes, this is the reaction I'm getting from people. Mm. Yes. What what are you thinking there, Jake? Part of being- Part of Celtics blog is that we get access to Keith Smith's legendary cat brain, mm-hmm. and he <laughs> said that they did change a rule that would make it po- possible, but no one's done it yet. And it's like, okay, guys, we kind of changed the rule, but if you do something dodgy, like then we'll have to change the rule again. So yeah, I don't know if this would. I don't think that this would fall under like don't do something dodgy kind of rule. Like, I, right? I, I wonder if it's like so you can't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what would even be dodgy. Like you wave a guy, let the other team pick him up, and yeah, then later they like trade that. him back to you, and you get like assets out of it for you know, like helping your buddy out or something. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's strange, but yeah. So cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glad so, to be able to report the facts there, listener. Um, yeah. So the that's price. Awesome. If, I didn't know that, that. If that is the case, then the price could be as high as Pritchard and two firsts. If you know, under some maybe poor assumption on my part that we can't trade Gallo. Looks like maybe we can. Either way, if we're starting to throw first round picks in for a guy, mm. like you guys have already said, that can't no play beyond a certain point in the playoffs is really just a, a reliever that Luke Cornett already does well enough. Like he's just adequate and that's what you need at that position. Just look not at, worth look, well. Yeah. Look at what Brad Stevens has gotten for first round picks so far. He's gotten Al Horford for one first round pick. Malcolm Brodden for one first-round pick, and Derek White for a first-round pick and a swap. If you think he's trading a first-round pick for Jakob Pertle, you're out of your you're out of your bloody mind. Three guys that can definitely play yeah. big minutes in the finals. Question, that's, yeah. w- would you prefer to have those three guys for three first-round picks or DeJounte Murray for three round pick, first-round picks? Oh, dude, <laughs> the former, uh, 1,000% of the time. This is crazy how much better he's done with all those picks versus some of these other teams. It's nuts, dude. So, it's nice when you already have the two stars, though, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it helps. Atlanta <laughs> needs the second star. I don't think Murray's the guy, but yeah. like that's the beauty of how that team with Danny drafting the two Js. It's like, okay, now I just got to get really good players next to him. Easy. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> I mean, he's done amazing. I'm not trying to take anything away from Brad. But, you know. <laughs> so then Pirtle off the table and then sort of keeping in line with Sham saying that the Spurs could be that hub as far as the trade market this season. Are there any other notable Spurs targets that you guys have in mind that you think, you know, because we've done the dance with the Spurs before, there's obviously good relations between the two front offices. Do you think there's a trade there for someone else on the Spurs roster? If we could somehow bring back Richo, Josh Richardson, um, that would be unreal. Like mm-hmm. he he was really good for the Celtics. Like I think that um he oh, just yeah. Derek White was more of what we needed. Um Richardson's really good, can shoot it, a little bit of playmaking, fits into the, the defensive identity of the team. So if we were able to get him, but I think he he's on like twelve ish mil. So I think then now you're think talking about adding in um so it's like Gallo, Pritchard, and then now we're talking about a is that a Hauser that goes back? Um, and again, Richardson's a free agent as well. So um, I don't know. And I'll it, say it for no. you, Ben. 
Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, 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 man, go right yeah. in. Uh, how about Zach Collins, Ben? Yeah. Would you be interested in Zach Collins? <laughs> I was literally just Googling his contract. Uh, yeah. Oh, it works. It works very easily. Yeah, does it, does it fit into a TPE for us? Because we do have soon to expire a $6.9 million TPE on the 18th of January. That's very soon, like tomorrow. 7-3. Uh, oh, okay. And so it uh, does not fit. Okay, right. You answered my question. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, is Zach Collins, is he a potential ad, do you think, despite that? Zach Collins terrifies me, man, because yeah. he's so injury prone. <laughs> but man, he looked good against us in our game against the Spurs, didn't he? And like, he kind of brings the type of stuff Pirtle does just at a lower level. Um, I don't know if he can shoot free throws, actually, but uh, if Collins comes cheap, I would definitely consider it because you probably don't have to give up picks or you know of give up a first round pick and then if you need to you can just use his salary slot to trade for somebody else you know if it doesn't work out or he gets hurt again and you can deal him with the two picks you don't lose the salary slot like you do if you get purtle and he walks in the offseason right because mm-hmm. collins i think has one more year left on his deal right well, uh, yeah, he certainly performed well. I know Eric Weiss called me out on Twitter a little while ago for even having the thought that we should acquire Zach Hollins. But he, you know, when he's healthy, <laughs> he looks good. But the, the when he's healthy qualifier, I think we're already prefixing too many current rusted players on the Celtics with that. So, you know, adding another one, I understand the, the hesitation to do that. Uh yeah, Josh Richardson, I don't know if he fits. Like, obviously, there's a need at the wing there. We've had some people in the chat calling that out. I don't know if as far as his, I'll say it, physical dimensions, if he sort of fits what we need there. <laughs> ding, for ding, ding. Thank you. Knock it off your bingo card. Yeah. Um, Devin Vassell is another player that could be nah. gettable, although he nah, might be part yeah. of I love Devin. There's no way we're getting Devin Vassell. We might as well <laughs> trade for OG. Yeah, I was, <laughs> that's, oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah Jake, tell us that's, about your OG thoughts. That's my guy. Yeah. I mean- like you talk about, you know, re- replacing Al. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, Grant is going to keep getting incrementally better. Um, look, you, replacing Al is going to be just hard. You're going to do it more with how good the rest of the team becomes, the Jays, Rob, et cetera. Like Al Horford's value, like finding a guy that's become um, what Al has become, especially even in his late career. Um, I'm not sure Grant's going to fully be able to fit that. Um, but but if we, I don't know, like Masai Ujiri's got, you know, everybody in his pocket, you know, whether it's Zach Lowe, it's Shams, oh, yeah. like multiple first round picks. Um, that's how much it's going to take to get OG. I threw out a trade of, this is pre-Brogdon turning into um, the sixth man of the year without a question, Brogdon, the Grant Brogdon Pritchard two first round picks for OG, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we should do it, but I'm saying we should have potentially have a con- check. So it's right. Thank you, Landon. <laughs> um, two plus two. It's a lot. We should have a meeting about it. Should we do it? I'm not sure. Um, I just think that he, like he is someone that would really take this team. Like if you inserted him, especially for this year, it's both a win. Now he's locked up for three more years um, win now move and a move for down the line. You don't have to deal with Grant Williams's contract. OG's making seventeen million per year, um, which is probably going to be a little more or around what Grant ends up making anyway. Um, so you lose Grant, but then it's like, how much value is? Because it would have to be a Brogdon or a Derek White for someone like OG, and I just don't know how much 
how much are you losing for how much are you gaining? I think that there's a lineup there which, which would turn the Celtics into maybe the best defensive five in the league. Like to have a, a Marcus, Derek, Jason, OG, Rob lineup. Sorry, Jalen. Uh, it would just, it would be absurd. Absolutely absurd. Real quick on Vassal. He's averaging 24 and 4 yeah, no, on 40 percent three point shooting. He's averaging more points than OG, <laughs> oh, and he's three years younger. But he's um, a star. <laughs> there's very few relatively gettable guys I would be interested in trading Grant Williams for. But yeah, OG and Anobi, call it in right now. How, uh, that team would be such a defensive monster with OG Ananobi on the court, dude. Like, I don't know how you score on that team. And then you got Derek White flying in from the weak side, blocking every shot, you know, like there's no, there's no getting to the rim. Um, So yeah, OG would be incredible. I have no idea where the Raptors are going to go. They could go in about 10 different directions. They could use OG or some of their younger guys and try to trade for an all-star and try to get better immediately. Like, I think that's just as logical as them blowing it up. So I just, I just have no clue what they're going to do, but man, if there's even a sniff OGs available. Yeah. I think Jake, you got to have that meeting and you got to <laughs> put a real tangible offer on the table because he's that good. He really is. Absolutely. Yeah, um, Z Gamer just correcting me. Twenty four, twenty five season is a player option, so you might only get him for one more season until you are now visiting the free agency thing. So that um, is definitely something to consider. Would be part of the conversation. Would be part of the meeting. Exactly. Um, yeah. Mitchell Marshall in the uh, in the chat here. Semi is the only <laughs> answer at this point. I was actually thinking about Semi the other day. Um, a couple of my friends from work who were watching the Euro league and Shemi was playing and I was like, has he learned to dribble yet? Uh, no. Was the answer. Oh, so, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Can we make trades with the Beijing ducks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, look, the trade deadline, February 9th, it's obviously approaching. So we're going to be coming. sort of, we're going to be yeah, picking quit. at that wound a little bit. Um, I wish I had a better analogy there as we approach that deadline. Meanwhile, this Thursday night, our old foes, the Golden State Warriors, they're in town. They're re-equipped, if you will, with a now healthy Stephen Curry. Before mm. we get into the game, we are going to fire up our playback room for a good old-fashioned watch party. You can find the link in the show notes for this podcast or after the fact on YouTube or wherever you're consuming it. I will put the link in there. Uh, so come in, hang out, watch the game with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, different result from the last time. Jake, I'm That'll understandably nice. nervous about this one. The Warriors, like we know they have a terrible record on the road this season. How have they been playing lately as we get closer to this Boston game? Yeah, so Steph has been now been back for four games. They're two and two. They kind of pulled one out yesterday. It looked like they were going to lose. But yeah, Steph had 41, seven and two in the W. Uh, you got to just throw out everything. You know, the Warriors may end up being a disappointment this year, but for a specifically Friday's game, uh, yeah, it's going to be, Steph's going to turn up. He's going to probably have 40. Um, I think the big thing that I like, the win-loss thing, obviously you want the Celtics to win and go to eight in a row. Can can Tatum just deal with the house of horrors that have become yeah. the the Warriors? Like Andrew Wiggins, again, he's coming back from injury. He has not been good defensively, home or away a lot of the time. Um, he's going to look like Scottie Pippen, it feels like, on Friday, right? <laughs> like I know. it's So win-loss, I would just like to see them play the way they – are clearly capable of playing this season, um, especially Tatum. Like I would like to see him get the monkey off his back a little bit. Um, 
I'm I'm nervous. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna have playoff kind of nerves probably before this one. Um, even today, Draymond, an article on ESPN came out about um, the Boston crowd and what he heard. And go get go read that one um, and how he wasn't ready for the crowd, etc. Um, so he's gonna be coming in uh, with his Draymond ship on his shoulder. I very much expect. I'm hoping for some Grant uh, Draymond kerfuffles. Some crowd interactions. Keep it clean if you go into the game, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited for this one. Um, they've got two days off as well. So they're going to be pretty much full strength. That blank stare Tatum had while mm. we were playing the Warriors earlier this season of mm. just like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now will forever haunt my dreams. So yeah, <laughs> that's the biggest thing I'm looking for. Like, I don't care if he misses shots. Yeah. But like, don't look out of sorts, dude. Like if you go seven of 19, but it's like quick decisions, one turnover, and he's just missing open shots, fine. That's fine. But I, I just can't deal with him looking completely <laughs> flabbergasted against the Warriors again. Ben, are you terrified? Tell me I'm you're terrified. Petrified. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not just a mental hurdle for the players. It's now a mental hurdle for fans of the team as well. At any level, I think there's a, there's a trauma, a recent trauma with the NBA Finals. There's a, a a more limited, acute trauma with the the game we played that Jake and I caught up at a Sydney pub and watched, <laughs> and, and and unfortunately coloured our experience of catching up for the first time uh, poorly. Uh, there's a lot to recover from from everyone within the realm of the Celtics, and so it's a hugely important game. There's probably less than ten really significant regular season games throughout mm-hmm. the course of each season. And this is up there with the, the, the most important of them because, you know, we, we, we grasp at what this team's identity is and where they're going and, you know, with what they can improve on. And this is a, a huge measuring stick for where they're at and where they're going. So it's almost must win in terms of maintaining the belief of what this team can do. And that's why we're firing up the playback room, not to continue to plug it, but like I need like, a support system <laughs> to yes. watch this game. And so that's why we're doing it. So I highly recommend coming to hang out. If the game isn't entertaining, then at least hopefully my reaction to it will be. So uh, definitely tap in and, and check that out. Uh, Jake, any any final thoughts on the game before we move on? Firstly, Jordan in the chat, has the term Grantics been coined, coined yet? That is fantastic. So good. <laughs> we're coining it today. Thank you, Jordan. Um, <laughs> could definitely go for some Grantics in, in Friday's game. Let's just turn up. Like, and look, they could just, they could just lay the smack down too. I feel like, you know, they were, they looked really fresh against the Hornets on uh, the most recent game, obviously. Tatum looked fantastic. Let's hope that this is the beginning of the three ball, just being, you know, one of those games. Brogdon, keep it going. Like, we haven't seen, like, Brogdon was awful in the Warriors game as well. Like, mm-hmm. let's see, let's see him get going. Um, we didn't have, we didn't have Rob in the last game. So, in the finals, we had a positive plus minus with Rob on the court. We have Robert Williams available coming off two days of rest. Let's see what we can do with oh, yeah. a healthy Rob. Let's get let's get a blocked three-pointer on Steph Curry going back the other way for a, a Rob windmill. Uh, yeah. Smart's going to have to make his threes because I, Landon and in the chat, you're spot on. Tatum's going to get doubled and – they're going to leave Marcus Smart open. That's what they did in the first game. They're just going to dare him to shoot. So Marcus has got to be ready to play, and I, I think he <laughs> will be. I wonder if we go double bigs. The Warriors are tough to go double bigs against. So I wonder 
wonder if that's mm. he's been Joe's been going with that. So yeah. I wonder, do you guys think we're going to keep the double bigs going? I do, I do, I do think that they're going to tr- they're going to just try and go back to that starting lineup, um, which I like. But yeah, Al, Ch- yeah, when we saw bits of it, watching Al chase over screens is uh, funny to watch. Um, he's pretty good at it, all things considered, like age, size, but you know, not something you really want him doing. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I, honestly, I would maybe prefer him to go back to maybe putting Grant in there and just going back to more of a switch everything thing with Curry out there. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting. And tune in one more time, one more plug, the playback stream. We're going to be watching it I'm all so together. keen. I've got it blocked out in the work calendar. It's awesome. I've, yeah, I've got the whole day off work. Cannot wait. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Nice. Now, final segment here. This segment is a Wayne Spoonie original invention named Celtics Face-Off. Spoonie, do you want to set the table for this one? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, you know, we're always kind of batting ideas around in our chat, trying to think of recurring segments, stuff that makes our lives a little bit easier. And I was thinking that the Celtics have a lot of talent and a lot of guys with overlapping, in a good way, skill sets. So I think it'd be kind of a fun way to discuss these skill sets a little differently, maybe focus on some really specific things that we don't always talk about in in detail, right? We might mention it, but we don't ever sit here and talk about Marcus and Derek White navigating screens, right? And <laughs> I just thought it would be fun if we pitted two players against each other and picked a skill and chose which one of those guys is better at that specific skill. And I think we've gotten creative. I think there's some fun ones, some funny ones, and then also, you know, a couple more serious ones. So, yeah, it's just very if it's serious. terrible. Just remember Ben thought of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And if it was great, obviously it was Spoonie. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> so I, think, I think we've got two each in there uh, as I, I failed to calculate the amount of rows and a table. Um, the first one, Marcus Smart versus Derek White. Screen navigation. Jake, is this your entry to the This is my entry. Table? All right. You want to kick us off here? This is this is what I imagine it's like choosing between children, because um, <laughs> okay, so Marcus, my favorite thing about his screen navigation is how he's mastered going under a screen with that like cobra spin move, like under and like he doesn't really go under because he's able to get a contest um, so well. Whereas I think Derek White is so good at going over screens, like he's always able to get a really really good contest going over screens. Um, it is really big, like the reason I had this one in my mind was like Malcolm Brogdon tried to do like the Marcus smart spin move under a screen and against the nets. And it was like four times as slow, um, which has made me really appreciate it, how it's like probably like really hard to do. Um, I, th- I, th- I think, I think I'm going with Marcus. <laughs> I'm going with Marcus just because I love his spin move under the screen so much. Spoonie is nodding like that Jack Nicholson gif right now. It's slow. Insane nod. Yeah, I think um, they navigate screens very differently. Like, White is like a ghost, man. Like, you can't land a firm screen on him. Um, He just, like, uses his hips and gets around him. And I think slight edge to Derek on off-ball chasing shooters mm. when he people try to screen him. 
but I think a pretty sizable advantage to Marcus Smart in the pick and roll at the point of attack. And I think that's frankly just a little more important in today's NBA. You feel Marcus Smart if you try to screen him. Like he goes under and he reappears on the other side somehow. And then if you try to reset the screen, he just like somehow gets his body in between the screener and like makes them like almost turn their shoulder because he hits him so hard and gets around him in a sneaky underrated thing. Marcus might be the best in the league at. Nobody gets fouled going around a screen as much as like Marcus draws so many offensive uh, fouls when he's navigating screens and like uh, once in a while he'll take a dive and it won't get called and it looks really, really bad. But uh, more often than not, he gets that call. Plus, you know, you, both of these guys, you can't screen. But Jake, it's funny. I kind of pre-wrote some of the post for Celtics blog for this episode. And I said the exact same thing. Yes. This is like picking between children. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> really I would is. say this is really close. And uh, but I, I would go Marcus as well. Yeah, I'll. Sorry, go ahead, Jake. No, 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 make, go, Ben. Make, make I, the call. I, I took a different angle on this. Uh, and spoiler alert, Spoonie already told me that one of these stats is useless in our Slack before we got started. But I think <laughs> listeners will appreciate understanding why that is the case. So I had a look at NBA hustle stats and specifically contested shots with the assumption that to contest a shot defending on the perimeter, you first need to get around a screen to contest that shot. So Marcus Smart, 4.4 contests per game. Really great for any guard who's running around screens all day. That's great, right? 4.4, amazing stat. Derek White, <laughs> 6.1 contests per game. Let's get around those screens. He's a ghost, like you guys said. He's contesting everything, <laughs> even if just minimally, he's, he's offering maximum effort on the navigation of every screen. So I think Derek White wins there. Another thing I looked at is play type, specifically pick and roll ball handler defending. So defending the pick and roll ball handler. Derek White, 3.4 possessions per game, gives up 0.93 points per possession. Teams are shooting 44% on those looks. Marcus Smart, 3.8 possessions per game, giving up 0.95 possessions per game. Team shooting 46% on those looks. So like a wash, exactly, almost yeah. exactly the same, <laughs> identical. So then to me, it comes down to like the eye test, the aesthetics. Jordan Bedard in the chat mentioned the reverse spin. I think it's Marcus Beautiful. Smart. In terms of like... I know. Three like, and oh, oh, that doesn't feel right. You, you oh, can't, no. It doesn't feel right, but it, it's true. It's true. And we're talking about the reigning defensive player of the year. And I'm, perhaps yeah. the, the, the glaring takeaway is that it's just so good that it's this close. That like, yeah. it's almost give or take. And as far as a defensive, you know, identity riddled championship potential team, that is an, an amazing trait to have. So if nothing else is taken from this segment, it's that we have two <laughs> amazing perimeter defenders and they're almost as good as one another, which is great. It's pretty cool having two of those guys. That's for sure. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one. Jalen versus Jason versus Brogdon pull-up threes. Whose pull-up three game are you taking over the other two, Spoonie? Okay. <laughs> if I ha- So if we're going just this season, yeah. I-, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I believe both the Jays are like barely 30% on Oops. pull-up threes. Yeah, in the 20s um, now, apparently. So that's not good. I don't know what Brogdon is, but it feels like he never misses them. So I'm guessing he's probably in the 40s from pull-up threes. I think both the Jays and especially Tatum can get to that shot a lot cleaner whenever they need it against a lot of different types of defensive players, which I think is a huge boon for them. And if we were going 
next year or from now going forward who I would take. That's a different discussion. But right now, I just think the gulf in efficiency is so, so big for Malcolm Brogdon at this point. I would have to go Brogdon with a heavy heart. <laughs> yeah, I I think it, it's definitely Brogdon for for this year. You just trust it so much now. Um, and he, I, I'm still not quite used to his shot just in general, how funky it looks. But yeah, he's, he's become so reliable um, on that pull-up three. And then, uh, yeah, the numbers with Jason and Jalen are pretty close with the pull-up threes, I believe. Uh, I personally just trust, like, I still like Tatum's pull-up threes for the most part. Um, maybe not when he's um, missed four in a row when he has Seth Curry matched, matched up against him, but uh, I still really like the Tatum pull-up three. Jalen, I still, I think, because it's, it's more new for Jalen. I think it's, he's still um, finding finding that uh, at the same level, but that's how I would have it ranked. Yeah, I did look up the numbers. Tatum, Thank you. 27.5% yeah. on the season pull-up threes. Not great. But high volume, so whatever. Jalen Brown, 33.3% pull-up threes. Getting there, great, sure. Until you look at Malcolm Brogdon, 43% on pull-up threes. And, you know, of course, the reason he's so open and in consistently in such a good position to get those looks is because of the Jays, largely. But in a vacuum, we're looking up, we're looking at their pull-up three stats in this particular case. So, for me, it's, it's, it's Malcolm Brogdon. So, is that another 3-0? It is. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. We've got it. Yeah, here we go. Here's what I think we'll disagree on. Ben, do you want me to introduce it? Please. So yeah, you don't do have it. to go last. Yeah, let's okay, go so number three. This is a grudge match, baby. This I think is a good one. Al Horford versus Luke Cornett in rim protection. Ben, why don't you go first since you've gone last the last two times? So this, from this point onwards is where I ran out of time researching these. So I'm just completely fired from the hip now. I have some Great. stats okay. for this well, one. We make uh, a good it, team. It, for me, yeah. <laughs> rim protection, factoring in Al Horford's age and what we ask of him you know, throughout the course of a game elsewhere. Like Cornette is what the biggest US born player in the league right now. Like mm-hmm. just his presence on the court is some rim protection. Factor in the eclipse which I believe is a bizarre <laughs> uh, attempt at rim protection and just that kind of size around the rim as a deterrent. For me, again, total eye test, not looking at stats here. It's Luke Cornett. What do you think, Jake? I thought you were going to go to Spoonie next. Okay. Um, here, here. No, actually, why, why, don't, no, why don't we go to me? Why don't we go to me? All right, here we go. So... Al averages more blocks per game, 0.9 to 0.8. But per 36, mm. Luke's at 2.4 and Al's at 1.1. So way more blocks for minutes played in Luke's favor. But, but, but oh. Al can test <laughs> 5.8 shots per game at less than six feet away. Luke, I think, is around three. For some reason, I didn't grab that. Opponents <laughs> shoot 2.3% worse with Luke guarding around the rim. They shoot 11.2% worse when Al Horford is defending the shot around the rim. So I think just from a pure volume, it's kind of the same argument you had for Derek White, Ben, just on the interior instead of the outside. Um, Al's defending way more shots. Maybe he's not getting as many blocks, but people don't make shots when Al Horford's at the rim. Uh, And Luke does affect shots, blocks some more shots, but 
Al's impact on layups and and close shots is just so crazy that I would go with Horford. Um, and plus, he gets there more often because Luke's a little slow footed. So sometimes mm-hmm. he doesn't even get to contest the shot because he's out of position. Imagine coming off a screen and beginning your drive and just being immediately captivated by Al Horford's eyes. I would imagine yeah. that would have some impact <laughs> on your ability. Oh my yeah. gosh. Oh my God. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I think that has to be factored in. Sorry, Jake. Jake, break the tie. We finally have a tie here. I couldn't possibly dunk on someone with such beautiful eyes. No, no, no. Uh, I think Al's ability to contain the perimeter a little better as well. So, you know, part of rim protection is stopping people from getting to the rim. So, I like that Al has, and granted, he hasn't been as good protecting the rim as he was last year. Um, And the second piece, which is a little, I'm not sure if this is cheating or not. I'm convinced that Al is like still in third, fourth gear. Yeah. And I'm convinced that when he gets to the playoffs, it's going to be all these numbers are going to ramp back up the rim protection, the ability to switch and, and stay with guys a little better. So Playoff I'm betting Al. on, I'm signing the Al Horford contract today because of what he's going to become in the playoffs. Al Horford gets, gets the W today. All right, big I'll, Al with the win. I'll take that L. That's fine. I was gonna say now. Now it feels like Ben also lost. Sucky Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. Uh, all right, who's well, gonna dish up the go next ahead. one? I'll I'll do the I'll do the next one. So little yeah. This is this is you know Al. He making a return for the next one here. Um, first our. Ben's favorite nickname on the, on the team, maybe Fast PP, uh, making a making an appearance in the Celtics faceoff in offensive rebounding. Spoonie, throw to you. So it's kind of comical, but if you look at the numbers, <laughs> Pritchard <laughs> averages one point eight offensive rebounds per thirty six. Al's at one point three. Pritchard rebounds more of available offensive rebounds when he's on the court. So his offensive rebounding percentage, 4.7 to Al's 3.8. Pritchard has the luxury of never boxing out, never getting boxed out. So he can just sneak in. And plus he plays a much lower minute load than Horford. So, you know, he can go balls to the wall 100% every time he's out there and dive around for offensive rebounds. Al doesn't have that luxury. So I think this is where the face-off gets tricky. Are we saying like purely from like production or are we, you know, are we adding some context into that? Like I, I'm going to say it's, it's funny that it's even a question yeah. though, right? Couldn't be too, we could probably do three-point shooting with these guys too. And maybe we will uh, next time we do this segment. Uh, but I, I got to go Al, man. I, I don't know. I just can't, <laughs> I just can't give it to Pritchard. I'm sorry. He, yeah. I'm a hater. I think, <laughs> I think, like, because if the question is, okay, there's an important possession coming up, maybe someone's at the free throw line and they're a poor free throw shooter and you're expecting a miss, who would you prefer, you know, on the line there, poised to grab the offensive rebound? It's obviously Al Horford all day, but there are certain situations where, and like you said, Spoonie, because he's not boxing out and there's not like a, he doesn't have to apply like big man rebounding fundamentals, he can sneak in and grab these offensive boards. But if it comes down to like whose offensive rebounding do I want to rely on more, it's obviously Al Horford, right? So props <laughs> to, to Pritchard and like what he's doing there because it's unique for his dimensions as a player. Uh, 
I'll move on. Uh, it, it's it's got to be our offense <laughs> as far as just reliability around the the boards on either end. Okay, okay. I'm gonna see. If, I'm gonna try and flip one of you because I can't. Be t- I'm not taking an L. I'm I'm gonna get one of you on my side here. Um, it's Pritchard. Um, oh, it's, baby. It's, it's, it, yeah. Um, and my argument is that relative to their per, like perspective position, Pritchard is like. And elite has he has been an elite Ooh, offensive rebounder. I like that. Yeah, I like that. At guard versus Horford for a four slash five is he would he would got to be in like the bottom ten percentile um, for offensive rebounding. So for that reason, um, and their clutch offensive rebounds, Pritchard so far this year, their energy shifting, as um, yeah. Jordan in the chat has been saying here. So I'm going Pritchard. Go on the PP. I will say, like, <laughs> I, I don't think you've fully convinced me, but, oh, uh, like, if we are going to sit around here and celebrate Derek White's blocking at the rim as a guard, then why should we not also be equally celebrating Peyton Pritchard's offensive rebounding as a guard? So, I, I, I will meet good you question, there. Ben. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? You're, you're the one not to celebrate. Do it, Ben. Do it. Dunk on me. Dunk on me. Do I just, it. I know Brandon. you want to. I just can't. Okay. I can't do it. It's like if I want an offensive rebound, I'm, I'm relying on the big man every day. Um, would I rely more on Al Horford to set Pritchard up for an offensive rebound? Of course. But I Ooh. think that's sort of that's deviating from what we're looking at here. So for me, it's still Al Horford. But I, I appreciate the argument on both sides. Incredibly compelling argument, Jake. And <laughs> yes. to the point where you may have turned me. Oh, and no. Suck it again, Ben. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, no, I'm sticking with Al. I'm sticking with Al. <laughs> so the next one, and this is where we're really going to need help from those in the chat uh, for opinions and, and helping to sway all of us in any particular direction. Very important. Blake Griffin mm-hmm. versus Luke Cornett. Comedic value on the team. Spoonie, which direction are you going in? Luke's got the on-court antics. The Stromile Swift, the like, ooh, yeah. I can't believe I dunked that. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, antlers. Yeah. But Blake is a legitimate stand-up comedian. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. He is legitimately funny. He knows how to set up jokes. He knows how to tell jokes. He does it with other professionals. So I think the easy answer is Luke Cornett. <laughs> Oh, okay. You had me, you had me, you had me in the first half. Um Cornette's hilarious, dude. I love yeah. him. I think but yeah, they're both hilarious. They're both like legitimately funny guys, I mm-hmm. think you could say. They really this might be the toughest one in yeah. the segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it might be. Look, they really complement each other well, right? Like we had the Cornette game, and then you know, he sets Blake up perfectly for the post game, and he, that gives him the Cornish game hen nickname. Um, right. so it's just like they're throwing alley oops together comedically, so it is hard to separate the two. Um, but I think what Blake gives us, um, when he does play, granted, uh, Rob coming back has meant that we're getting a lot less of this, um, but the, the antics that you know, Blake gives us when he catches a lob and everybody in the, like the bench antics that we get off the back of Blake diving on the ground and getting a layup and getting a dunk. I think the flow on comedic effect that we get, the vibes that he produces from his play on the court. Uh, I think I got to give the edge to Blake. I hate to be the tiebreaker here. For me, it's <laughs> Luke Cornette. And 
part of the reason is that Blake Griffin has he's has full time capacity to focus on his comedic value and like that being his contribution to the team <laughs> outside of practice. Luke Cornett has a role and yet maintains a level of like premium comedy and humor that I think is unparalleled in the league for someone who plays fairly regular minutes. Uh, on top of that, like one of the best unique celebrators in the league. I know I've mentioned it on, on several podcasts. The Cornish game hand is up there with like top three celebration <laughs> all time for me, just in its uniqueness and originality. To be able to focus on, on that level of being hilarious while also contributing to the team on the court, I think is uh, is unparalleled league-wide. Blake is funny. I, don't get me wrong. I can't believe you've done this, Ben. I can't believe you, <laughs> of all people, have done this. And let, j- just hear me out. Gets one from White. Now he gives it to White. Oh, Betrayal, uh, Ben. You did betrayal. this, Ben. I had to like figure on the trigger, Jake. I was ready to kill <laughs> it up as well. <laughs> no, you did. You. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> uh, so good. Oh, uh, hilarious. Beautiful. All right. Okay. Okay. Last one, gentlemen. Jason Tatum versus Marcus Smart in post-finishing. Ben, toss it to you first. For me, it's Marcus Smart. And again, oh, perfect. I haven't looked at the stats. <laughs> The yeah. eye test. <laughs> you have not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Marcus Smart missing a within six feet turnaround post up? The answer is no. It's literally never happened. <laughs> he always makes those shots. He is elite out of that look. And you think about the personnel that he's typically backing down in those situations. We, we saw him do it a couple of times to Steph Curry in the finals. Uh, smaller guards who get stuck on Smart in that position. He always dominates them. He always gets a clean make for the most part out of those looks. Tatum obviously is great in the post. Smart in the post against the opposing point guard is always a favorable mismatch for the Celtics. So a tough one, but for me, it's Marcus Smart. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of haters and detractors for that that take. Bring it on. Spoonie, sounds Jake. like you're ready to go the other way here. So uh, go for it. Okay, yeah. I'm um, terrified so- a little bit of this. <laughs> Tatum has 65 post possessions to Marcus's 28. His points per possession is 137 to Smart's .93. Tatum is in the 98th percentile in post finishing. He is quite literally the best post finisher in the NBA (laughs) of any real volume that's not a center. Analytics, Uh, no. (laughs) <laughs> smart's, smart's great for for a six three guard he's the 53rd percentile i think z gamer is correct in that uh smart's a better passer out of the post than tatum smart picks people apart from the post yes landon lakes as in post up sorry um but tatum is like a cheat code finishing in the post right now so i think it's got to be tatum yeah it's kind of the post finishing is the tricky one here. <laughs> Post, full stop, maybe with Marcus's yeah. passing included. Um, but at the same time, like, I think Marcus's value, like the fact that he would be able to go to Marcus's post-up as a weapon, um, again, the finishing versus the um, the passing, just the fact that we're able to go to Marcus in the post, I think is a part of his game that um, – I think has a lot of value to like round out Marcus Smart as a as a player versus Tatum. Uh, if you took away his post play and post finishing, he would still be really really good. 
but I, I mean, I can't really. And I just love, I, like, I love that he's become Tatum's become this elite post player. So, sorry, sorry, Ben. We're going, we're going, Big JT on this one. I'll die on this hill, so it's fine. I yeah, still feel like true, true within myself and, and my what I'm committed to uh, on this take. But um, Greeny, Greeny is smiling somewhere. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. This, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Uh, hour and 11 minutes here this has been a really fun one but we've got to wrap it up <laughs> that's gonna do it for this one thank you so much for listening a reminder we're firing up our playback room for a watch party this thursday night for the warriors game so come and hang out come and watch the game with us there our friends over at the green with envy podcast are going to be back with another pod on this feed early thursday morning ish so shout out to those guys and check out their pod uh, if you haven't already spoonie jake love your work spoonie any new pieces that you've got coming up for celtics blog in the near future yeah i Hope, hoping this one will drop in the next day or so, but uh, it's Jalen, Jason, Queen, and how the Jays put pressure on the rim. Uh, so it basically just breaks down how they both have like almost very similar like rim pressure points in the paints numbers, but both do it in completely different ways. And also, if you haven't checked out Celtics blog, we're writing stuff for every single episode that and it's it's in addition to the podcast. It's not just a restatement of it. So I'll have these stats and plays and some breakdowns for the Celtics face-off segment we just did in the post. You should definitely go check those out every time we have an episode on – almost every time we have an episode (laughs) on Celtics blog. Yeah, Spooty sent me some clips to to roll during that last segment. I probably forgot about them, so you have to check out Spooty's piece on CelticsBlog.com for all of that. In the meantime, we'll be back uh, later this week. Until then. Go Celtics.